everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. just a little kinder, kinder and gentler. And uh, does anybody remember this online debate of what color is this dress? Do you remember this? It blew up on the internet a few years, what seems like a lifetime ago. A woman in Scotland posted a picture of a dress and sent it to her daughter. And uh, the daughter showed the dress to her fiance and they disagreed on the color. One said it was uh, white and gold the other said it was blue and black. Just curious. I don't know if the resolution messes with anything, but how many of you think it's white and gold? Okay. How many think it's blue and black? Yeah, you, you, you're correct. Don't, I, don't, I don't understand the science of why some people perceive it differently. Um, it, it, about 80% of you will... Uh, be on the right side of this issue. And uh, anyway, they posted it. For some reason, it went global. And apparently, you know, the perception is based on how the light enters our eye and whatever. But um, people were adamant. People were passionate about their perception. And, and, and you think about some of the mostly internet debates that we've gotten so fired up about. Like, is it pronounced... GIF or GIF? Uh, Should pineapple ever be on pizza? Um, Could could Jack have fit on that floating door at the end of Titanic? Should we get rid of daylight savings time? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine? Did Chris Rock deserve that slap? Is the royal family racist? Is Twitter better or worse now? And sometimes the debate gets more serious. Were were those Ottawa truckers legitimate protesters or or criminals? Did did masks serve the health purpose that we were led to believe they did? Is cancel culture a real thing or is it natural and logical consequences now? Like, I think we would agree that getting the color of a dress right isn't really a big deal. It certainly isn't worth all the vitriol and passion. What I want us to talk about for the next three weeks, I believe, is worth the passion. It's vital that we get it right. Uh, Years ago, there was this British conference on comparative religions, and uh, it brought together all these experts in theology to, to debate... What was unique, if anything, about the Christian faith in relation to to other religions? Was it the idea that a God became a man? Actually, other religions have some variation of that one. Even some Greek myths uh, were about 
God appearing to humans? Was it uh, the resurrection? Actually, the idea of the dead returning to life it could be found in some other ideologies. Was it heaven, life after death, eternal soul, uh, love for your neighbor, good works, care for the poor and homeless? Was it about sin and judgment? Um, the debate goes on and on. And who should wander into the room but my man, C.S. Lewis? And if you don't know, Lewis himself had journeyed from atheism to agnosticism and then eventually to Christianity. And, and after that became one of the most uh, famous of all Christian writers and thinkers uh, from his position in uh, Oxford and Cambridge, not to mention a certain Narnia series of books. And Lewis asked what all the debate was about, found out that his colleagues were discussing what Christianity's unique contribution was among world religions. And Lewis was like, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And after they thought about it, they, they had to agree. Grace. Today, today, we want to begin a series on that very thing, the most distinctive idea within the Christian faith, but it, it can actually be one of the most controversial, maybe the least understood. It's what attracts people the most, whether they realize it or not. It also ends up being a stumbling block to a lot of people that they trip over. Uh, it drew thousands to Jesus during his life, but it also nailed him to a cross. We, we sing about it weekly. This is amazing grace. But, you know, to, to steal a title from author Philip Yancey, I'd ask you, what's so amazing about grace? Oh, it's so amazing. It's so amazing. But it's, it's misunderstood. It's misapplied. Some reject it. Some cheapen it. Some make it a commodity to be earned. Some say it only flows to a few. Some refuse it to others. Some apply it where it doesn't belong. All this to say is that we need to get this right as a church. When we were thinking about uh, our, our, our reworded knack vision as a staff, I also wanted us to talk about like what, what do we value here? What are our, our values at New Market Alliance Church? And this is just from the, from the staff perspective. But these are some of the things that we wrote down. You know, that we would be Jesus-centered. That would be all about Jesus. We'd be spirit-led. We believe that in 2023, the Holy Spirit is within us and it can actually help us make decisions. That we would be servant-hearted. We have a great pool of volunteers here serving the church. That we would be disciple-making culturally relevant, one anothering, authentic is a big word for us, and that we would be grace-filled. What does that mean, that we would be a grace-filled church? So it, it, is, it is the most distinctive idea in the Christian faith. And, and if that word appears in the New Testament more times than forgiveness or prayer or Mary or hell, which it does, if, as the Bible teaches it, it by grace we are saved, meaning our very eternity is resting on this, then we need to get it right. What does it mean to live a life under God's grace? What, is it, what does it mean, uh, the term that Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined, cheap grace? What does that mean? And so today, could I just start with sort of a grace 101? 
uh, if uh, apologies to those who might feel like, uh, been there, done that. But if this topic is as important as I'm suggesting, maybe it's okay to review. So a bit of my Bible school, if, if I may, I'm going to do my best not to bore you, but if you'd also do me the favor of like kind of rolling up your sleeves, putting on your thinking cap, is that patronizing enough? All right, good. Let's start. Um, to understand grace, I, I was thinking we really have to understand these five background issues. The nature of God, the law of God, the human condition, the Old Testament sacrificial system, and then Jesus himself. And so this is kind of a little systematic theology. Uh, um, some of it is difficult to hear. You've been warned. First, I think we need to talk about the nature of God. What, what needs to be understood about the nature of God is his holiness and his love. We just sang, holy, holy, God almighty. What does that mean? Well, God is truly perfect, truly holy. That means sin is repulsive to him. He, he's allergic to it. He can't look upon it. His holiness demands either the removal or the obliteration of sin. And you also need to know this, though, that God is love. He's not just loving. He is love personified. And, and that means that much of the activity, the understanding of God, lies in this crossroad of holiness meeting love. Second thing to understand is the law. God's spiritual and moral law, it, his standards. It's not something um, that he has arbitrarily set. The law is God. God is the law. It's, it's the very expression of God's person. It is who he is, the very, very nature and character. As a result, it's not uh, the law one either obeys or disobeys. It's, it's God. So when we obey, it's an act of love. And when we disobey, it's like, a, it's like direct disobedience. It's, it's treason on God. And the penalty is serious, the most serious of all. What could be worse than to go against the very nature and character of God, which is why the New Testament book of Romans uh, in the Bible has these words, for the wages of sin is death. Another version says the payoff of sin is death. And as if the reality of a physical death weren't bad enough, the Bible teaches that there's also this reality of a spiritual death, which is separation from God. Sin causes a spiritual death. It, it breaks a relationship. It destroys the intimacy that God intended to take place between himself and his creation, created in his own image. So at its heart, sin is, is rebellion against the character of God. So, so punishment or consequences are not just a, a possibility, but an inevitability. Which brings us to the issue of the human condition. Folks, all of us are sinners. All of us are in this sinful condition. And to top it off, we can't save ourselves. Uh, we can't lift ourselves out of this sinfulness. The word sin, some of you know, is actually this old archery 
term, and it literally means to miss the mark. Uh, in the original use of the word, when someone would shoot an arrow at a target and miss it, it was called sin. It didn't matter whether you missed it by an inch or you missed it by a mile, it was still sin. And so with that image in mind, take notice of how the Bible describes the human condition in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. All have fallen short of God's glorious standard. So when it comes to living the life that God intended for us, you could say that we're all missers of the mark. Some of us do better than others, but but no one hits the bullseye every time. And, and sin isn't just about a failure to be perfect. Often it's about, let's be honest, some willful choices, you know, conscious decisions that we, we would knowingly go up against God's plan and leadership. So whether it's, you know, murder or malice, uh, lust or lying, Stealing or slandering, it's a choice to go against the moral law and will of God. It is falling short, which makes sin really serious business. The payoff of sin is death. And we can't change that. We can't undo it. We can't fix it. We are totally unable to rescue ourselves from this sinful condition. There's no way to earn our salvation. There's no, there's no way to do enough good works for salvation. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right before God. And are we having fun yet? Are you, this is a good time? Yeah, right. Okay. Um, which brings us to the fourth background issue, the Old Testament and the sacrificial system. And so in ancient times, the Bible teaches that God decreed that the payment for wrongdoing, for, for a sin, could be covered through a blood sacrifice. Um, our, our rebellion deserved death. God's love allowed for a proxy, an animal sacrifice. Now, this seems strange to us. It seems cruel and icky. But it was very intentional by God, I believe. He wanted people to see the, the severity of sin. He wanted people to see that paying for the sin that comes between us and him is, is messy. It's gruesome. It's costly. Because sin is messy and gruesome and costly. And that is really, um, that this is a life or death issue. So the symbol was an appropriate one. The sacrifice was a substitute for the sinner. It, it, it bore the sinner's guilt. It's literally where we get the, the term scapegoat. You've heard of this. Um, blaming someone, um, pinning something on them. That's a term that comes from the Bible. There was this annual day of atonement on which the priests made uh, atonement on behalf of the, all the sins of the people. And so the scapegoat was a real goat, which um, the sins of all of Israel was symbolically transferred on this once a year day and then it was driven off into the wilderness it, it was um, if the sacrifice was going to be effective though there had to be some kind of um, connection some point of commonality between the the victim you could say 
and the sinner for whom it was offered. So there would be this, this kind of laying on of hands. I wish I brought a goat with me so I could show you. Kind of like a, a, a confession of guilt on the part of the sinners and a transfer of the guilt from the sinner to the victim. And, and God also said the, the animals who were sacrificed needed to be without any kind of blemish or mark. The point was that, that sin or imperfection could only be addressed with perfection. Sin cannot deal with sin. It can only be dealt with by a perfect God because um, the sin was against him and his law and him only. And so only the perfect God could offer true forgiveness. But the sacrificial system was only a sign, a taste of what God was going to do in the future. It, it was offered to God, but it was never going to, um, it was never going to be something that finally and ultimately would bridge the gap between us and God. Which is why the great prophets of God said that there would be one who would come from God who would take away the sins of the world once and for all, the, the one sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And uh, then at a point in time in history that God chose for reasons only known to him, God did just that. He provided a perfect one and done sacrifice for the sins of all people throughout all time, every nation, all of history, past, present, and future, which brings us to Jesus. Thank goodness. Jesus was the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. And because of him, we can now be forgiven once and for all. In fact, the writer of Hebrews compares Jesus to the high priest who, who went to the temple on the Day of Atonement on behalf of all the people, um, except that instead of the blood of sheep or goats, this perfect sacrifice offered his own blood. And remember when John the Baptist saw his cousin walking up to him, what did he say? Behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. You see the fulfillment? Jesus was the ultimate lamb. Um, this was God's holiness intersecting with God's love. Uh, this is where justice met mercy. And to simply absolve sin with sort of a trite wave of his hand would, would cause him to cease to be God. His holiness demanded that sin, what sin demands, that, that there be just punishment, the death penalty. And his love had him take our place. The judge, the judge himself got up from behind the bench and he takes off his robe and he walks down to where I stand and where you stand, guilty as the day is long. And he embraces you and he says, I love you so much. There's a penalty though. It's gotta be carried out because I'm an honest and good judge and what you've done is wrong. There needs to be justice. So I'll go in your place. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what Jesus did for you. 
This is, this is how a more modern translation of Roman reads. Listen to this. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we are, were of no use to him whatsoever. I, which brings us to grace. Praise God, we're there. The best, simplest definition of grace is that which is freely given and totally undeserved. Freely given, totally undeserved. At its very heart is this idea of something that is a, a gift. It's getting what you don't deserve, not getting what you do. And as the Bible says in Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. And God extends this invitation to the hearts of every human, everyone in this room. You get a chance to respond to this gift, this grace, just to, just to receive it fully, to have what Christ did on the cross applied to my life. Um, and because we are so sin-stained and sin-wrecked, and um, that we wouldn't even we wouldn't even turn to God if He didn't turn to us first, if He didn't offer this invitation, we wouldn't pursue Him if He wasn't pursuing us first. That uh, He reaches out in a million ways to touch our souls and to stir us to at least listen. You tracking with me so far? Um, we tracking with the sin deal, how we all miss the mark, the sacrificial death of Jesus in our place, um, that his payment for our sin is, is offered to us as a gift, a gift of grace, freely given, completely undeserved, something done for us so that we, that we could never do ourselves. Well, if you've tracked with all that, we're almost home. Um, but if you stop there, you've, you've missed maybe the most important part of all of this. Christ's death on, on our behalf, if, if received, is what bridges the gap between us and God that was created by our sin. Um, it, it's what can bring us back into relationship with God. This is, this is how it's talked about in, in the Bible in the book of 1 Timothy. God is on one side, and all the people are on the other side, and Christ Jesus is between them to bring them together by giving his life for all mankind. I've been thinking about bridges this week. I, I was thinking about our logo. I don't know. Liz, can you press that logo button and see if it comes? I'm not sure if I put it in the... Do you see it by the blackout button? I forgot to put it in the slides. Oh, yeah, okay, well, it's a little stretchy, but um, I, I was thinking about how this was uh, based on one of the more famous landmarks, identifiable landmarks in our region. It's a symbolic bridge in our application, but it points to one of the most um, powerful images in our faith. Um, so just go to that first picture that sort of represents the whole origin story of humankind is about a God who made us, who loves us, 
wants to be in a relationship with us. That was the original plan. Um, he's got a good plan for us. We matter deeply to him. I hope you know that. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing that, that you matter deeply to him. That's the first thing. But in this picture, we see that because we've rebelled against God, we've disobeyed him, we went our own way, um, we've been separated from him. Uh, we've been broken off in our relationship. We, there's this chasm between us. And in this next slide, we show that there's lots of ways that we have tried to you know, build a bridge to him, try to repair it, try to cross over, try to restore that relationship. And most of us try to earn it. Uh, we try to work for it. We try to tally up brownie points towards it. But that's not what will get you to God. God says that um, that is never going to bridge the distance. It'll never be enough. The penalty for our sin is death, and that's a, such a high price to pay too high for anything that we can you know, bring to the table. But next slide here. God loves us so much that he has provided a bridge. And, and, and we can find forgiveness. We can find the full restoration of that relationship with him. The bridge really is the cross of Christ, which paid the penalty for our sin in full. But let's not stop there either. Just knowing about the cross and what it can do for your life isn't enough. The Bible teaches that you've got to act on it. You've got to accept it. You've got to receive it. Talk about the easy part of the bargain, though. One is the gift giver, and one is just the receiver, the, the beneficiary of this free gift. But still, God is not going to coerce you or force you to, to you know, pick you up and walk you across the bridge. He, he won't do that. You've got to be the one to cross over, to take him up on the invitation. You have to walk across the bridge that has been provided for you. And so if I were to come to you um, and say, like, Here's this Dunder Mifflin uh, coffee cup. Uh, I bought it with my own money. Uh, I want you to have it, Scotty. And uh, it's not really his until what? He takes it. He receives it. That's when it's yours. I can stand here and offer it to him all day long. Walking across the bridge is everything, which raises a really important question. Where are you on the bridge? I mean, let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. You, you can be way over on this side, maybe still in bondage. Um, maybe you're sort of have taken a, a little step. You're, you're kicking tires in your faith. You're here this morning because you're curious. Um, Lots of you might be in that place of just sort of a little step. Um, I sure hope you're on the other side in relationship with God. Maybe the better question is, where do you want to be? I, I think most of us would answer, I, I want to be on God's side 
in fellowship with him? Well, you can be. You can. Because in, um, in case no one has ever told you this before, crossing over is just one prayer away. The God of grace is ready to shower grace upon you, but you have to cross over. And so how do you cross over? Um, the Bible points to just four simple but really important steps. Number one, you just got to own up to the truth about yourself. Like take an honest, sober look and, and own up to what God sees, someone who is precious to him but in rebellion, someone who has, has missed the mark, someone in need of a savior. If you don't think you need saving from anything, I suppose there's nothing to be offered to you this morning. But for those of you who are broken and fed up and sick and tired, and you know that you can't do this on your own, man, you're in such a good position to receive life-changing grace. You're done with rationalizations. You're done with cop-outs. You're done with excuses. You're ready to admit that you're a sinner before a holy God, which is why the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. So step one is stop fooling yourself. And then the second step is that you've got to be willing to turn from how you have been living to a new God-directed way of living. I'm not talking about becoming perfect or, you know, religious, um, wearing suits and getting a, you know, a nice leather-bound Bible that you carry into work. I'm, I'm talking about um, just being willing to turn things over, turn things around, head in a new direction. Start making changes that you, that you know need to be made if, if Jesus were, in fact, your leader. Start letting him lead. The Bible will often use this word repent, which um, I know is one of those loaded churchy terms, but you know what it, all it means is? To, to turn around, to, to make a new direction. And this is why the Bible says, repent then and turn to God. Step three is just, Believe, believe that Jesus loves you, that he gave his life to save you. Believe that he is good. Believe that he lived a perfect life, died and rose again, that he's coming back one day to make all this brokenness right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In fact, the whole Bible was written for that purpose, that we might believe. I, uh, I, the Bible says that if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that leads to the fourth and final step. After you've admitted your sin, you've repented of it, you've turned to Christ in, in belief of him, you then just reach out and receive the gift of what Christ did for you. And, and what Jesus did on the cross is such a gift. Remember what we read earlier from the Bible. Let me read the full verse now. 
For the payoff of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You should have been the one on the cross. I should have been the one who suffered. But God, in his love and mercy, gave us a way out. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. The gift of forgiveness, it it opened the door for us to be restored relationally to God. That's why the book of Ephesians says that saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish, but because it's a gift, it's got to be received. That's your part. It can be offered, but it isn't yours until you just reach out and take it. And that's just that's just one prayer away because it says in Romans 10 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and you can call on God today. You can cross over if you want to. This is so important. Here's what I want to do. Um, in our world today, this may actually be the the only time all week where you just had some quiet, some space to just contemplate. So I, I just want to give you the silence and the space to do whatever you would do with what you've just heard. No soft music playing, no manipulation, no pressure. Just consider what you've heard. And so we're just going to take some time of silence for maybe you just to bow your head, close your eyes, think, and then I'll lead us in a closing prayer that will give those of you who actually would like to cross over a chance to do that. you aren't already, just um, bow your head, close your eyes for a moment. We're going to pray. And in this prayer, all I want to do is give those of you who want a chance to enter into a relationship with God, just to say yes to him. Um, And since this needs to be your prayer from from your heart, I'm just going to lead you, not, not in kind of a repeat after me, but just some gentle guidance. So if you'd like to cross over that bridge and receive the gift, would you just first begin by telling God, just quietly in your heart, that you need him, that you've been living far from him, that you actually need a savior. Just take a second to to say it to him in your own words, silently, right where you are. And now tell him that you want to be forgiven, that you want a clean slate, that you want a new beginning, 
uh, your past erased. And now would you tell him that you want his leadership in your life, that you not only want him as a forgiver, but as your leader, um, that you'd invite his, his day-to-day management into your life, that you want to find out how he wants you to live, and that you want to live that way under his direction. And now, just thank him for doing that. Thank him for forgiving you and for the leadership he's going to give your life. Father God, I thank you for these decisions. You have promised us that when we come to you and ask you to come into our life, you will. In fact, there is a there is a party going on in heaven right now as the angels rejoice around your throne at, at even one lost sinner who comes home. And maybe in your own experience, bells and sirens haven't gone off, but something miraculous and of eternal significance has taken place. And so, Lord, watch over them. Help them as they seek to grow in their faith and to serve your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's a decision you've made, would you please tell someone? Tell me, just so I can celebrate with you and maybe set you on a a pathway of, of learning more about the decision you've just made. The invitation is for everyone. I'm going to invite you to stand. Are you broken and thirsty? Are you in need of a Savior today? Come to Jesus.